kids, they can do that. All right. So it is Memorial Day weekend. It is Memorial Day weekend. This day, this uh, whole weekend, really, where we celebrate and we honor those who have kind of paid the ultimate sacrifice for our country, who have given their lives, who have not looked to themselves, but have, have served the, the larger nation, their, their country, their people. And this picture, this picture of self-sacrifice, this picture of commitment, this picture of complete devotion to a country, a mission, a cause, has, through all biblical times, has been a picture of what the church is supposed to be. It's been a, an image of the church. It's been something that is supposed to, uh, to help us understand what the church is, its role in the world, its relationship to Jesus, its call to devotion and to self-sacrifice. So we've been looking at, at who the church really is, how the church is called to, to be the one that, that Christ loves, but to also do the mission that Christ has called them to. And today we're looking at the image of the church as the army of the Lord, the army of God, the army of Jesus. Now this is a powerful image. This is one that I think in some sense really challenges us. Because we look at those who have sacrificed their lives, who have given everything for their earthly nation, and then we look at, look at our lives and we say, okay, we are called to give all that we have to the kingdom of God, to be utterly devoted, to be willing to die, to, to put that first before anything else. Now, I hope that we have, ultimately, at the end of this, joy in having that role. That we have joy in advancing the kingdom and being, being the army, being the soldiers, being those who are committed to following Jesus. But we need help. We need the Spirit to help us. So uh, we're going to look at kind of a summary of what, what is the war that we're called to wage? What is the war that we're called to fight? We're going to look at what it takes to, to be a true soldier. What are we called to? What does a soldier in the church of God look like? And then finally, how does nothing but Jesus equip us to do that? Because we know that we're going to fail. We know that we are weak. We know that we're going to struggle. So let's pray and uh, ask for the Holy Spirit to help us with this. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by the call to be the army that you have recruited to build your kingdom. And Father, we recognize that we are struggling soldiers, that we can be cowardly, we can be weak, we can fail in our devotion. And so we ask that you would empower us to see Jesus, to follow his lead, to joyfully obey him to please him above ourselves. So, Father, would you give us um, just image, like a, a hearts to see Jesus, a desire to, to grow his kingdom. And, Father, would you give us the power to do the things that we want to do, that, glory, that Jesus may be lifted up and glorified. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right. So, first we have to start by thinking about, okay, the army of God what is that image supposed to evoke? What is the war that we're supposed to be waging? And this is important because historically the church hasn't gotten this, this right. 
So we have waged wars in ways that we are not supposed to be waging wars. And we've probably committed ourselves to, to earthly nations and to, to causes that aren't the ultimate war, aren't the ultimate cause. And so I want to start off by saying that in saying that we are an army, we are fighting a spiritual war. A spiritual war. And the enemy is not flesh and blood, it's a spiritual enemy. Look at Ephesians 6.12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is not a physical battle against flesh and blood. Against flesh and blood, against people, against nations, against other earthly nations. And I remind us that, first of all, our citizenship is first and foremost in heaven. That we are citizens of heaven, that even now we are spiritually standing before God. Now that calls us to, to then prioritize the spiritual war. Now as I say that, I recognize that as Christians, we are not, we are not called to be total pacifists. And individuals in the church can be soldiers. On the earth, they can fight for their nation. But the church, the church doesn't fight earthly wars. The church already has a war. They already have a battle going on. They're fighting the spiritual battle. Now, you're looking at this and you're saying, oh, well, some of these things seem kind of earthly against the authorities, against the rulers. All right, this is, this is a... Greek way of saying kind of all of the spiritual categories of, of demons and powers and deception and lies and satanic alliances, none of these things are earthly. The cosmic powers that would lie to the people and would oppress them and hold them down and keep them in their sin and their guilt and their shame, those are the things that we are fighting. And that's why I want to remind us that our enemies are not the atheists or the Muslims. Those are flesh and blood. Those are the people. And they actually stand under these, these spiritual forces. They are being lied to. They are being deceived. They are being held captive. And we don't fight them directly. We fight the lies that they are under. And we fight that serpent that we saw last week deceives and calls us to adultery. We fight a spiritual battle against spiritual forces to save flesh and blood. To save flesh and blood. Now, how do we fight that battle? How do we fight that battle? I hope I don't have to say this, but we don't fight this with physical weapons. All right? We, just like we don't fight physical enemies, we don't use physical weapons, we don't use the weapons of, of the world. 2 Corinthians 10.3 For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. All right, just to, just to clarify things for those who are new to the faith, uh, the Crusades 
all right, a bunch of Christians getting swords and going to attack Jerusalem, like, not condoned, all right? We are not, like, I hate, I, I was part of a Christian club in college that was called Campus Crusade for Christ, and, like, my atheist roommate was, like, highly offended by that, and rightfully so. It's just, like, it's not the historical point you want to bring up with, you know, in the college campus. It just wasn't helpful. And then we shortened our name to Crew, which was like, oh, that's the one where we wanted to get away from. But, all right. Uh, <laughs> just, just zero right in on it. Um, all right, we don't approve of that. That was, that was an example of that the church, the church is adulterous. And the church gets deceived. The church falls into the way of the world. That's an example of that. I just want to make sure that that is incredibly clear. And we are given weapons, but the weapons that we, we use are, as we see, they are, they are the truth. They are the word of God. They are the gospel of Jesus. They are the truth against the lies that these principalities and cosmic powers would, would use to, to enslave people. And so we unleash the word of God. We unleash nothing but Jesus. This gospel that is just filling people up with grace and mercy and calling them out of the shame and the guilt that is used to, to keep them down. All right. Now, some of you are like super hyped about going to war. And then you hear that and you're like, oh, okay, no, like I need to like sit in my office and be passive about this. All right, no, no. We are actually called to wage war. When Jesus talks about this, Matthew 16, 18, he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All right, this is not this kind of passive, merely intellectual, oh, I just need to make sure I'm thinking my right thoughts and I'll be fine. No, there are, there are gates, there are gates that are trying to protect the kingdom of darkness and trying to keep people enslaved to lies and under the rule of Satan. And what does the church do? The church goes and kicks down those gates. That is the power that we are given. That is the role that we are given. And so this isn't this kind of passive approach. No, we are, we are very much fighting. And we're not thinking, okay, let's... let's protect ourselves so that no evil gets into the church. No, we are not a fortress. We are not the ones building the gates and making sure that hell doesn't, doesn't get in. No, we are the ones getting outside of the walls and plundering hell itself. That people who are destined to go to hell, they, they are no longer destined there anymore because Jesus Christ is, is their new Savior. They've been released. That's our role. That's the war that we're fighting. And I would charge you, like, don't get lost in other wars, in other battles, in other skirmishes and fights, in the wars of the world. We have our battle. We have our war. Let's, let's focus on the one that, that really matters, the one that is above all other battles, above every other war. And I'd ask you, like, are you at war? Are you fighting? Are you a soldier? Are you part of the army? Now, if you are a Christian, you are. 
you're just, you're just run a wall, all right? And that's where I'm, I'm calling us back. Let's be, let's be about the mission again. And that takes us, that takes us to our, our second point. All right, what does it really look like to be a soldier then? To be committed to this war, what is, what is asked of us? Well, all right, so there's all these different aspects, and we say, okay, like, we should be like soldiers. You could think of a of, of hundred different things, like, okay, we could have short haircuts. Like, no, we're not focusing on that aspect. Or, or we could be really confusing in our language and use lots of acronyms. All right, that's also a soldier thing, but we, we're not going to do that one. All right, what, or what aspect are we focusing on? We are focusing on the total commitment, the total commitment, and the all-in mentality. The you are the commander. What you say, like if you say jump, I will jump. If you say go, I will go. If you say die, I will die. This commitment to the mission, to the ideals of the kingdom, to casting off all of life and being like I, I am totally in this and I'll fight to the death. And that's what Scripture, when it sees a soldier, that's what it sees as, the, as this beautiful thing to hold up and say, like, be a Christian soldier. Second Timothy 2, 3-4. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now, there's always this, this dichotomy between the, the soldier and the civilian. And if you meet a soldier, and he treats you like a civilian, you feel like an idiot. All right, because you're like, oh, like, like what, do you, what do you do? Like, oh, I like defend our freedom, and I like, I like make sure that you can do whatever you want, because I can do nothing that I want. And it's just like, oh, okay, like, you are different than I am. And I just kind of like wander through life and you are, you are on pushing forward. All right, that's the difference between a Christian soldier and a Christian civilian. Now let's take, let's take an example. Uh, there's the, let's say that your commanding officer, he, he comes back from a, from a battle, from a skirmish, looks around and, at the barracks and someone's missing. Someone's missing. Private Smith is missing. And what does he do? Like, okay, we have to re-rally the troops. We need to go get this guy. They came from battle. They come, came from, from a gunfight, and they're, they're right back in the battle. They're plundering through the desert. There's bombs falling. There's, there's guns shooting. They find Private Smith's location. They kick down the door. It's blown to pieces, but here's Private Smith. They have found him. He's shit, sitting in, in shorts and a t-shirt, drinking a Coke. Like, we found you. We've saved you. Like, come, come be with us. You're, you're going to die here. No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I, I was actually, I, I don't think I'm going to come. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to get a job here. This seems good. Like, there, there's a bakery down the street. I think I, think I might... Start try that. I, I'm, I could I could make bread. That sounds fun. Like no, you're you're at war. You're in the desert. You're we're on a mission. Like I I have a different mission. I think I'm good. All right. Paul is saying that has never happened. 
That has never happened in the history of soldiers because that is not a soldier. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. That's just not what you do. All right. We obviously are seeing the parallel here. Are you, are you living as a civilian or are you a soldier? When you wake up each day, do you ask yourself, like, all right, what are my marching orders or what do I want to do today? What's the mentality? Are you ready to fight or are you just kind of going with the flow of, of the world? Do you look at your heart and you say, like, okay, like, I see that I'm not, I'm not sold out to the kingdom. I'm not fighting for the kingdom. I'm not in love with the kingdom. That's the difference between a soldier and a civilian. A soldier and a civilian. Are you more about us here or are you about the mission out there? Fighting for people to see Jesus, fighting for the kingdom, wanting to kick down the gates of hell. It's a difference between a soldier and a civilian. We are called to be, to be soldiers. Now, how do we find the strength to actually do that? How do we find the strength to actually be that kind of soldier? Because we've seen them. We've seen, we celebrate and we honor people this weekend who have done that who have done that in the earthly sense, that they have totally committed themselves to the mission. How do we do that? How do we fight our own fear, our own apathy, our tendency to just fall in line with the world? Well, if we look back at 2 Timothy, what does it say? It says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian's pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So our aim is to please the one who enlisted him. All right, this is where the power comes from nothing but Jesus. If I told you, fight, go fight, go, go try really hard, go die to yourself, like, you would not be, you, I'd be telling you to earn your salvation. I'd be telling you to, to go fight the law again, and that would just be setting you up to be destroyed by Satan and sin and the law. And that's where I want to remind us about nothing but Jesus. That the only reason we are soldiers is because Jesus and his church kicked down the gates of hell and, and rescued us. Rescued each and every one of you. And that when Jesus saw you as a rebel and a hater of the kingdom of God and totally against him in every single aspect of your life, what did he do? He came. He came and he fought for you. As Randy said, the army of one. That Jesus came and he fought for us. He didn't fight against flesh and blood. He fought for us, flesh and blood. And he saw that ultimately the only way to win was to die for us. And so that same flesh and blood, God himself, was nailed to the cross. Blood shed for our blood, flesh broken for our flesh that that was the only way he was going to win us back and fight the lies and, and show his love for us and prove that 
No, the kingdom of God is where you need to be. The kingdom of God is where there's life. And that's where we want to please this Jesus. We're not fighting to prove ourselves. We want to please him because he has already saved us. He has died for us. Our lives are a memorial of Jesus who died and who rose again to give us life and to pay for our death. When I ask you to be a a, a soldier, do it for the joy. Do it because you want to. Because you're more excited about the kingdom to come than the life that you have now. Because you'd rather die with Christ than live for yourself, only to have that life taken away. You'd rather lose everything with Jesus to, to get it all back. For the joy set before you. To please him. That's the only thing that's going to give us power to do this. I'm not telling you to go, go, and, go and try harder and sacrifice more. No, look at how Jesus has tried harder already and already sacrificed himself and then get excited about serving this one who served you. Get excited about your commander. Now, there's a second thing that keeps us, keeps us fighting because if your job was to go out there and and kick down the gates of hell, you would fail. You are not able to do that. You have no strength to do that in of yourself, and that's where Jesus, thankfully, already won the war for us. He already won the war. That on the cross, he defeated sin and Satan and death. Colossians 2.15 says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in the cross. Right, this is the victory of Jesus, that he already won the war. And now, the weapon of death that they used to use against us, yeah, that doesn't work anymore. There's eternal life. He can't take anything from us. All right, the sin that used to accuse us and bring us guilt and shame and condemnation, yeah, that's totally wiped clean. Jesus took care of that. He triumphed over that. We are completely saved. We are... We are totally protected. And we have the power of the gospel with us. And so you aren't, you aren't saving people. You are spreading the salvation of Jesus. You are spreading the, the victory that he has already won. And every single battle that you engage in it has the background of Jesus already winning the fight. We see that in, in nearly every Old Testament war story. That it's one person one Israelite, one leader, one Christ type, winning and everyone else winning with him. All right, so parting the Red Sea. Moses parted the, one, the Red Sea, one guy, and all of Israel then wins. And they get to walk clean, free and clear through the water. They defeat all of Egypt. The ones in the furnace, did they save themselves? Did they fight this battle? No. Jesus came and was in the fire with them and protected them from the smoke itself, from the flames that the soldiers couldn't withstand. Those are all of these stories point to this, that that one Savior saves all. You are not battling alone. You are not battling in and of yourself. You are battling with the power of Jesus on your side. And finally, finally, When we battle, when we go out there, 
We are called to equip ourselves with nothing but Jesus. With nothing but Jesus. Now this is where we get into the, the analogy of the armor of God. The armor of God. You guys are all sick of it because you've done it a million times in Sunday school, a lot of you. And, and you've had to, you've had to like make the belt and talk about, well, in the Roman legion, this was what the, the armor looked like. But uh, So I'm going to talk about it a little bit differently. It says to put on the armor of God, and it includes all these things like righteousness and truth and faith and the word of God, which is the sword. That your feet are, are ready to spread the gospel. Another thing that we don't often talk about is that way back in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, it says that God is actually the one who puts these on first. And when God himself, Jesus the Messiah, put on righteousness, he put on his own righteousness. When he put on the belt of truth, he put on the truth that he was truth himself. That he was all truth. And when he put on faith, he put on his own faith. That he was 100% faithful all the time. And we put on the helmet of salvation, he was going to save himself. He had power to save himself. That he was sinless and hence sin could not hold him. Now, when you are called to put on the armor of God, you are not called to put on your own righteousness, your own faith, your own truth. No. You're called to put on the armor of Jesus that he already put on. And so when you put on your righteousness and say, you know what, my righteousness is going to protect me, it's not your own, it's Jesus's. And you say, like, Satan, you cannot get me because I have a righteousness that, that you cannot attack that cannot break through, cannot pierce my soul. And when we say, you know, I have salvation on my head, we're saying, I have, I have eternal life. I have the guarantee that Jesus will save me. Even if they kill me, I will be wearing that helmet in heaven for all eternity, and there's nothing you can do about it. That when we say, yeah, take up the shield of faith, it's not the shield of how great our faith is, it's the faith of Jesus that... His faith saves. We trust every promise, not because we're going to earn that promise, but because Jesus already earned it for us. And when we take out our sword, we are not taking out, I memorized a lot of scripture. It's the sword that, of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is victorious, that I can fight every, every shame and every guilt, every lie with the truth of Jesus, with nothing but Jesus. And that's where you are called to, to put on Jesus and put on this gospel and put on salvation. Remind yourself of the truth that you cannot be defeated. That, that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. That Jesus already paid the price. Put on your righteousness. Put on your salvation. Put on readiness to spread the gospel because Jesus is going to save that's what we're called to do. It's all about Jesus. It always was, it always will be. Let's be soldiers. Amen? Amen. Now, are there any, any questions about this? Any questions? I forgot the reference. I was supposed to write it down. Uh, 
I want to say 21, but that, sound, that sounds very fishy. So uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question, because otherwise I could have just made that up. So good question, Amy. Other questions that I can't answer? <laughs> no? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that that we're only called to be martyrs because Jesus was the the first and true martyr. That we're called to be all about the kingdom because Jesus was all about the kingdom. That he calls us to come and die because he died first and he has found eternal life and there's eternal life on the other side of this battle. Father, we ask that you would give us joy in being soldiers and not, not civilians. That we long more to please Jesus than to please ourselves. That we would rather kick down the gates than, than wall ourselves in. Father, that we'd rather glorify Jesus, our King and our Commander, than we'd want to glorify ourselves. And Father, we know that, that that starts in our hearts, that starts with our allegiance to the kingdom, that starts with our love for you. So would you give us eyes to see Jesus and love him and adore him and want to please him? Father, would these things not just pass us by and be yet another message that, that we take and we leave? But Father, would you, would you show us how we might be able to transform our lives to be true soldiers? Father, just give us a great love for Jesus. We pray this in his name for his glory. Amen.